You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Satan, your kingdom must come down. Satan, your kingdom must come down. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Satan, your kingdom must come down. Yes, Satan's kingdom will come down and they get rebooted 30 years later as a YouTube series. Um, um, today we're going to be talking about Cobra Kai. Uh, and uh, this is a really great series. I would have never watched this, I have to say. <laughs> I had no interest in watching this uh, until Nathan Gilmore uh, told me how great it was and he wanted to do a show about it. Uh, And so we got Coyle Neal from the City of Man podcast, Nathan Gilmore, of course, from the Christian Humanist podcast, to come in and talk a little bit about this show. Uh, Guys, uh, let me start with Nathan. This was your your idea. Um, How's it going? (laughs) Oh, it's going great. And like you said, I mean, that's my story as well. I saw the trailer for this thing about a year and a half on YouTube. And I said, this looks like an utter dumpster fire <laughs> and I might just watch an episode just to see how terrible it is. And then actually my brother, Ryan Gilmore, who's been a guest, gosh, nine years ago on the Christian humanist podcast, uh, told me over Christmas that, uh, he watched it and it turned out to be really good. So I checked it out and I said, Oh my gosh, I've got to do a podcast about this. And I said, Danny, we have to do secretary interview. <laughs> hey, that's why we're here, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> we're sort of like the, the leftover table for the for the network. Um, and so, no, and it's really, really great. I'm really glad you did. Um, Coyle, what was your uh, thinking here, getting involved? I mean, I'm excited to be the token sort of appreciator of all things lowbrow on the show. <laughs> so uh, I, I watched the trailer when it came out, and I was like, this looks great. <laughs> like, they're, they're punching people in the face, and it looks like they're bad people, so let's let's do this. Yeah. Uh, well, and I mean, I was seven years old, I think, when this thing was in theaters. So, I mean, it's definitely one of my mythologies, kind of a- alongside, you know, Star Wars and, you know, Indiana Jones. Uh, so, you know, that was definitely a pull for me, but, uh, like I said, I never expected it to be actual good writing. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Amazingly good writing. And we'll get into all the details about what makes this thing click. Um, and I do want to talk about our kind of personal experiences with this show and the whole franchise, I think. Um, before I do that though, I want to kind of just, uh, um, push on Nathan a little bit, um, about the most recent, um, Christian humanist podcast. I'm about three quarters of the way through it about the matrix. Oh, here we go. And, here we go. And I feel like this show is Michael Farmer making everyone hate English professors. I think that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> well, Danny, I, I, and I forget that that one's already out there on the internet. Now, you know why I came to you and not to Michael to do this show. <laughs> yes. There, and when he actually said that Pulp Fiction holds up as still a good film and the matrix does, not I literally laughed out loud. Um, like, yeah. And so, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, I was actually kind of angrily listening. I still think the matrix holds up and, and yes, philosophy majors will kind of scoff at it because, you know, whatever, um, uh, because it's, it's but surfacey. In 1999, philosophy majors were doing cartwheels. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think it's one of the, movie. <laughs> it's one of those movies that's a victim of its own success in a lot of ways. Oh. And, and I never did see the sequels. I never, I didn't think they were neat, were necessary. And yeah, so I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was just, I wanted to kind of get that out there and rant a little bit. Um, and so anyway, Quill, I don't know if you've heard that one. 
yet, but I'm I'm working on it now. Uh, I will. I mean, I'm happy to defend the second Matrix movie. So again, as the as the lowbrow champion on the network, apparently, uh, yeah. I I thought the second one was pretty good, but the third one, you're right. We could have we could have done without that. Oh, yeah. Well, go and listeners, go back and listen to the Christian Humanist podcast. If you listen to me, I'm sure you listen to them already. Uh, but that's a really good episode. Um, even though it kind of made me angry at times. Um, and so and as with Coyle Neal and the City of Man podcast, I just listened to your guys's episode on offensiveness and I thought it was really really interesting and great and so um, good work both you guys um, and happy to have you on the show as always you guys have been on together one other time I think we were talking about that 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988 oh, yeah. pamphlet I think um, <laughs> and so yeah so this is like a reunion show um, on this show so um, uh, well and then Coyle we were on a, uh, a Halloween crossover this year's weren't we that about sounds right the, uh, the uh, gosh the, I was going to say the the Hitchcock movie with the train, but that that, yeah. that, that doesn't really narrow it down. Which lady vanishes or murder? Yeah, that's the, the one. That's oh. the one. Yeah, I, as you can tell, I'm not the film person on this network. That's funny. Um, well, yeah, I'm glad to have you here today. Um, real quick before we get into the show, um, I announced this on the episode that will come out before this one. Um, the one about Weezer and uh, capitalist realism. Um, so this one, uh, I'm going to just kind of repeat the announcement for a few weeks here and try not to overdo it. Um, I am at a point in my life where I need a little bit of a break. And so I am going to put the show on a uh, kind of a hiatus for June and July of this month. I have not yet taken um, any weeks off since I started going to a weekly schedule and it's, uh, it's starting to pile up. I will still be, you know, recording things. I know that, um, grubs and, uh, Carter stepper and I have talked about doing a kind of continued series on weird fiction. So we'll probably kind of get some of those in the bank, some other things. If there's some sort of hot topic that comes out, there might be a surprise episode, just reacting to things that, um, that happen. Um, but I kind of see it as a break for me. Uh, there's some other projects I want to kind of, uh, get started. Um, and for the listener, uh, with this weekly schedule, I'm sure you can't listen to everything, so it'll give you a chance to go back into the archive and catch up a little bit. Um, stay in touch during that time. Send me an email at uh, sectarianreview at gmail.com and, uh, and uh, you know, get in contact with the show on Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not going away. I'm just sort of taking a little breather for the summer, as you guys do all the time. Uh, the sect- oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Christian Humanist Podcast yeah. does it all well, the time. We just don't apologize for it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I frankly went to a weekly schedule because I wanted to get to a hundred episodes quick. <laughs> so, and now I've gotten here and I can't stop. And so uh, I need to make myself stop for a little bit in the summer. Um, anyway, so let's get back into this, uh, the topic at hand. Um, so the, the show um, is clearly drawing on, uh, I mean, it's a, a revision and a remake and a continuation sequel of the Karate Kid mm-hmm. franchise. And so um, just, I mean, we start with Coil this time and then go to Nathan. What were your sort of personal experiences of revisiting this series and how were you feeling? What kind of thoughts were going through your head? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't, again, lowbrow, I don't know how much I was feeling or thinking before I went into <laughs> it other than this is, this is going to be fun. Uh, I, I came, I watched the original probably on VHS and probably as a mm-hmm. rental from our local grocery store because there was no blockbuster at that point. Uh, certainly not in rural Montana. Uh, and, uh, I, I'm I don't remember ever having not seen it, but I you know I'm I think I was born like a year before it came out or something like that. So mm-hmm. I uh, I don't I, I I it's just sort of always been there. Uh, I could not. I'm sure I've seen the second and third. And is there a fourth one too? That's that the one. Hillary Swank. The fourth one. Yeah. I've yeah. Never with seen with that the, one. I was gonna say with the the Karate Kid is a girl, and that's the yeah. big 
hook on that. So I'm sure I've seen them, but I have I could not tell you anything about any of them other than the little clips that they reference in in this series. Uh, and then I, I saw when it when it came out the uh, the Jackie Chan Jaden Smith reboot. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, if if you need someone to defend that, I actually will. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it was. I didn't like that one at all. So go no, ahead. And I, defend I, it. I agree. I, I think it was a, it was a good movie. The problem was the kid was too young. Like it's, mm. it's one thing to see 16 year olds, 17 year olds beating on each other. That's fine. They're adults. You know, we, we can watch that. Uh, it's another thing to see 10 and 11 year olds do that. Like, I think, yeah, I think that yeah. is just harder to watch, but I think if, if you can kind of disassociate yourself from that, there, there actually is a good movie in there. But, There's also no karate in it. No, no. And, and again, I think that's uh that's why it's interesting that they picked Jackie Chan as uh, as, yeah, as the yeah. uh, as the as the guy, which I thought he did a great job. I mean, yeah. Anyway, so uh, I I already had a soft spot for reboots, even given the I think kind of unforgivable weakness of the of the remake. Uh, but yeah, I was I like I said, I was looking forward to this. I thought the uh, the trailer was a little bit deceptive uh, in that they they made it look like. Uh, it was going to be where you know Danny was now the bully, mm. and uh, what's his face, Cobra Kai guy, whose name I'm blanking on for some reason, Johnny, 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 Johnny. There we go. Um, had uh, you know fallen on hard times and was now teaching kids how to defend themselves, which is kind of what happens, but it's also not exactly right. Uh, and I'm sure we'll we'll get into that. And in some ways, these guys really haven't changed, but the original trailer made it look like there was some kind of switch going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was looking forward to it for that reason. And I found something different and I, I think it was still pretty good, but it, it wasn't, you know, exactly what I was looking for. Mm. So that's what I've got. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. I think that this show is way more complicated than a trailer would allow it to be kind of. Uh, sure. and, and I think mm-hmm. it, it, the, the narrative that it purported in the trailer was a hook, right. To get you involved. But once you're oh, there, absolutely. it's so absolutely. much more interesting. I think Nathan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, like I said earlier, I mean, this was my mythology or one of my mythologies when I was growing up. And I I, I, I think back to 1983, you know, that was Return of the Jedi, Rocky Three, and Karate Kid. And I mean, that kind of sums up, you know, my, my youthful mythology, right? You know, these are uh, people who uh, they don't lead with their fists, but when they need to use them, they can. Uh, you know, that was kind of my American mythology growing up. Uh, you know, in addition, I mean, you know, alongside Obi-Wan Kenobi, Mr. Miyagi is sort of the, the great wizard figure Mm -hmm. in the mythologies of my childhood. You know, uh, he is the one who, you know, through mysterious means, uh, teaches Daniel's body to do karate before his mind knows that he's doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I mean, you know, even when I was seven years old, I mean, that just blew my mind. And then, you know, Jamie Smith plagiarized it in a series of books. So, uh, you know, that, <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm still waiting for him to uh, cite Mr. Miyagi in one of his books. But uh, in- interestingly enough, though, in a, a book on teaching writing by Stanley Fish, he actually refers to his class sessions as Mr. Miyagi time. <laughs> and I just think that's great. But at any rate, so, you know, you, ca- you kind of combine that, you know, Rocky underdog story with that, you know, Joseph Campbell you know, hero's journey story. And you said it in, you know, an American high school and it, it just worked. And it was not a complex movie psychologically, morally, ethically, uh, but it was a heck of a lot of fun. So, you know, I like coil, you know, uh, I thought that this was going to be that kind of fun, but it turned out to be more. 
Yeah, I I don't I remember seeing this movie and I don't think I've seen it since I saw it on VHS in the 80s, right? Um when okay. I was when I was a kid. And I have to say I when, all the flashbacks and everything, it's I remembered everything about this movie. So having that mm-hmm. one viewing experience of the Karate Kid, it really did um kind of stick with me and and I internalized it way more than I expected I would have, right? I I I reacted very strongly. I got all of the references immediately um as if I'd seen that movie many times and I hadn't. I'd seen each of the three movies, the first three once. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. um the second two, I remember one of them they go to Japan. I don't remember which one that is. That's the second one. Okay. Um and I don't remember anything, I guess, about the third one then. But, um, and so, <laughs> but, um, but the, uh, the, the mythology, the kind of archetypal treatment mm-hmm. of, you know, you know, Daniel's, uh, journey stuck with me all this time. And maybe this is because, and it's interesting, you guys talked about me on the Matrix episode with the whole Mr. Anderson thing, um, from Hugo <laughs> Weaving, because before that, I was always Daniel's son to everybody, right? <laughs> <laughs> that didn't so, even occur to me. Yes. <laughs> Every one of your names is a movie reference. It I- totally is. Um, and so um, my whole life I've been sort of plagued with one or the other of those two things. And uh, and so uh, maybe that's why I remember The Karate Kid so strongly all these years. Um, but And then in watching this, I really did um, appreciate how much it was at once faithful to the spirit and the kind of tone, I think, of The Karate Kid. Um, but while all the time, like complicating it to all get out, like, I mean, it really undermines a lot of the kind of assumptions about the hero's journey and all that kind of thing. And, and these very simplistic, um, who's the hero and who's the villain narratives mm-hmm. that that movie, um, um, puts forth. Um, and so, yeah, um, this show is coming out, uh, with about a week to spare before the second season, um, comes out. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this, it's 10 episodes. They're only 30 minutes each. It's very doable to watch this. Uh, go subscribe for your free YouTube red, uh, subscription and, uh, yep. you get it for a month. You can watch this one in one week and watch the next one probably in about a week and get them and get them both in while you're still under the, uh, the subscription model. Um, and I have to say, it's been nice um, not having ads in my regular YouTube viewing now. Um, as I'm subscribed to YouTube Red. They, that, that's how they hook you. They may have hooked me. I don't know. So um, but anyway, so um, anyway, so let's uh, let's kind of get into the show uh, itself. Nathan, you want to just sort of as briefly as you can the give us the broad contours of the plot? Sure. Uh, you know, the All Valley uh, under 18 karate championship happened in 1980. Now I can't even remember 1984, 1984. I said three earlier, but I was wrong. Um, and you know, Daniel 20 years ago, (laughs) what now? Yeah. 20 years ago, (laughs) 30, right? Yeah. No, but they keep saying 20. Oh, do they? I didn't notice yeah. that. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that either. Oh, oh yeah, because they're they're aimed at us, right? And it only feels like it was twenty years ago, but <laughs> I gotcha. Uh, but at any rate, so you know, the the movie actually begins with the the closing seconds of the original Karate Kid with uh, Daniel, you know, in single combat with Johnny Lawrence. Each point is replayed, uh, and finally, of course, famously, it ends with the crane kick, uh, which sends Johnny to the Matt and Daniel to the championship. Uh, but then it cuts back and you see Danny, not Danny, you see Johnny lying on the mat uh, and it zooms out and you actually have to focus on the defeated one. And then it zooms back in and it is, you know, uh, quick math here, 
18 plus 34, 52-year-old Johnny Lawrence waking up hungover in a rat hole apartment. And that's kind of what sets the scene for this whole thing. Over the course of 10 episodes, you discover that uh, Johnny, you know, through a series of bad life choices, uh, has ended up a semi-employed handyman uh, who seems to be fired pretty frequently from these gigs. (laughs) Uh, And that, you know, he is the father to an estranged son. Uh, He's had a falling out with his stepfather. Uh, and he is now living in the shadow of Daniel LaRusso, who's become a very successful and very wealthy uh, car dealer there in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, so the series then introduces a number of teenage characters. Uh, eventually you meet Johnny's son, you meet Daniel's daughter and son, uh, you meet their friends, Aisha, uh, who is a, a friend of Daniel's daughter, uh, you meet uh, Eli, later Hawk, uh, who is, you know, just this perpetual victim character. And really the central teenage character of this series is Miguel, someone who has just moved to the San Fernando Valley, just as Daniel Russo has done at the beginning of Karate Kid. Uh, But instead of meeting, you know, the handyman, you know, Noriyugi Miyagi, uh, or actually I might have just done Pat Morita's first name. At any rate, instead of meeting Mr. Miyagi... Uh, he meets Johnny Lawrence. Uh, so, I mean, this is one of those reversals that Danny is talking about. You know, the first sensei character uh, is the person who was the bully 34 years ago. And the new student uh, is someone who is, you know, not related to LaRusso, but comes into his sphere later on. So And I'm resembles him very closely, though. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, very, very much the casting. He resembles young Daniel in many, many ways, um, socioeconomically and, and physically as well. Yeah, so Danny, beyond that, I'd like to get into plot details and character sketches kind of as we roll along. But, I mean, are there any other uh, plot details that you want to sketch here at the beginning? Um, I mean, I think that the the show gives us arcs for everybody that are kind of unexpected. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think um, Johnny Lawrence is, is the, the primary one. He's sort of the star of the show. Um, mm-hmm. And you see him kind of rise out of his kind of poverty and kind of defeatism uh, and actually become somewhat successful, be- becoming an actually – good mentor to kind of abused kids, right? Kinda. Um, kind of, right? And then <laughs> then that arc turns again, right? And then you uh-huh. see how the way he's instructing these kids actually has kind of poisonous end results at the end. And so this all culminates yeah. in another sort of tournament that mirrors in a lot of ways the original tournament from the from the original Karate Kid. Um, and in this case, there's another twist on it. Um, the very first thing we see in the tournament is um, Johnny instructing Miguel to do the crane kick, the very first point of the tournament, as if to kind of mm-hmm. undermine that as the culminating moment. And they sort of wink at Daniel, who's like, like annoyed in the audience, right? And yes, so yes. you've got these um, um, very interesting kind of turns in the character developments where you think it's going one way. It looks like Johnny and, and um, Daniel are coming to a reconciliation late in the series. Um, and then there's all these sort of Shakespearean plot twists that um, mm-hmm. keep these things from happening. It's like fate is almost like this uh, powerful figure in this show, um, and which keeps the kind of complicated nature of this narrative going. And so in terms of plot points, um, I think the only thing I would add is that kind of culminating um 
tournament at the end of it, uh, at the end of the series. Um, Coyle, do you have anything that you think we should have hit on? Well, if, if we're gonna if we're gonna get into the the characters and so on later, then no. But I mean, the, obviously, that is the that is the like you said, the big twist is the the Danny character becomes the Johnny character. Uh, and the Johnny character becomes the Danny character. And they're, of course, they're each other's kids or, you know, uh, at least bear such a close resemblance resemblance that they might as well be each other's kids. Yeah. Uh, and there's that, that twisting together of everything, but we'll, we'll get back to all of that. And, and that's the Brian. major plot point that we did leave out is that um, Johnny has a kid who's he's estranged from. And this kid is like a really troubled, like criminal type kid, um, as you mm-hmm. would expect being raised by Johnny. Um, and, uh, and so, but <laughs> not raised by Johnny, or being not raised by Johnny, but being raised by this kind of really irresponsible mother, um, basically. And then, but then he actually becomes Daniel's mentee. And so you've got the sort of right. Johnny's protégé, kid protege, protege. Yeah. There's no such thing as a mentee. Nobody oh. meant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. So again, this is why everyone hates English professors, Gilmore. Uh, <laughs> you're not doing yourself any favors. Um, and so, uh, uh, but the point is, he uh, um, he ends up being essentially raised by Johnny's nemesis, right? And then the culminating battle is between those two. Sees Johnny bringing up Miguel as a sort of surrogate son. Yeah. So the, the fathers and sons plot, I mean, is running all the way through this as well. Yeah. So, so we'll talk about that. And I think that's enough to kind of get the, uh, get the ball rolling. Um, Nathan, uh, you got a, a pretty vast list of notes here. Do you want to start with the character, <laughs> uh, character sketches and, 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 and talk about where they go or would you rather t- start with like topics? Uh, well, I mean, let, let's start, let's keep rolling with Johnny's characters. We've ever, we've already started talking about him. I mean, he is presented in this, uh, you know, really far more than in the movie. Cause I, I actually went back and watched karate kid again, just to make sure, uh, you know, I, I was distinguishing between what I actually got back in 1984 and what I'm getting now. Uh, and I mean, in Cobra Kai, uh, he is definitely a lot more of, uh, a dinosaur figure, right? As mm-hmm. you would expect an 18 year old character can't be a dinosaur figure. Right. Uh, but part of the comedy and part of the, tragedy of cobra kai is that he really did peak in 1984 daniel larusso you know kept him from getting his high school glory in its final you know culmination and he just never recovered from it uh so you know we've already talked about the fact that he never you know established anything like a career uh as as this series rolls along one interesting moment and i want to hear you guys comment on this (laughs) Uh, he is in his apartment drinking alone at night, watching the movie Iron Eagle, and it is watching these characters encourage each other to go into the final dogfight scene that really, even more than his revenge impulse against Daniel, spurs him to open up Cobra Kai again. So, I mean, he has this weird postmodern religious experience watching this bad 80s war movie, <laughs> and, you know... Uh, that's the part that I mean, really, I don't see a whole lot of people writing about when they write about this series is that it is a I mean, he has an almost a, a call scene, if you will. I mean, it's uh, he ain't Isaiah by any means, but that's the structure of that scene, I think. And it's true. And he actually is doing at that point. Good. Like Cobra Kai is like giving a home and confidence to people who are being legitimately bullied in the community, right? And so there is a sense in which that's the point at the narrative where you think that 
um, it's all culminating towards um, some sort of heroic turnaround. And now the bully has, or the bully, um, being by being bullied his whole life by life, um, it now has the perspective to sort of help contemporary bullies uh, um, achieve in the world, right? And so that's sort of the mm-hmm. um, the narrative that the story begins with. And I'm not saying it totally abandons either, but it totally complicates by the end of the story, right? And so, oh, sure, sure. And that's how he meets Miguel. Is that Miguel, the new kid in town, is getting jumped by you know the the rich kids at a convenience store. Uh, and what's interesting is this is not the altruistic Mr. Miyagi, you know, coming in <laughs> at the last moment to right. save him from skeleton, skeleton costumed Cobra Kai. Uh, but they get Pepto-Bismol on his car. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when he starts yelling at these teenage bullies and they, you know, being teenage idiots, uh, decide to jump this old man and, you know, he gets karate all over their heads. <laughs> and that's how Miguel discovers him, right? Uh, is that, you know... Uh, he says, you know, do you do, you know, MMA jujitsu? And he says, no, just old school karate. And he says, can you be my teacher? And then of course the, the line from the trailer, they got people like me amped up. No, I'm going to be your sensei. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And so, um, Coyle, do you have any, uh, further thoughts on the way that, um, Johnny is inspired by this kind of cheesy eighties movie and he's literally driven to tears by watching it, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I will, I will defend iron Eagle in another episode if you want me. <laughs> of course. Uh, so, uh, of course you will. Coyle should have his own yeah, podcast I mean, uh, where he just does this. He defends <laughs> crappy movies. Yes. <laughs> I, I defend good movies anyway, uh, or I defend crappy movies that I enjoy. How about that? Uh, yeah. So I, I think that's uh, kind of a, a part of his overall character. And I think one of the things that this show is doing is that it, it's, it's making the point that really neither Johnny nor Daniel have evolved since the eighties. Uh, mm-hmm. They're both, we're, we're not supposed to assume they're pushing 60, but in reality, the actors are both almost 60. Uh, again, they, they, they sort of play with time and these guys are clearly supposed to be in sort of their late forties, uh, maybe even mid forties and the way the makeup works and all of that. But, uh, uh, I mean, kind of one of the questions they're asking is what if we did pluck these two people out of the eighties and, and drop them in the modern world? Yeah. Uh, what, what is that going to look like? You know, and, and Nathan, you have some of this in your, uh, in your, in your notes, but you know, Johnny still talks the way he did in the eighties and that's yes, super does. jarring, right? The, <laughs> the, the casual racial slurs that, you know, he, he clearly, he clearly doesn't mean those in any kind of traditionally racist way. It's just the language you use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, it's, it's not because he disdains minorities. He disdains everyone equally, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah. it's, uh, again, it's, it's the way you talk and, and with him, it's, you know, what happens if we bring, someone like him from the eighties into the modern world. And, and the results are like, like Danny pointed out, the results are a mix right there. Uh, yeah. You have someone who's standing up to bullies and not doing it online because that's only the way well, he doesn't, he doesn't say pansies, but you know, that's, yeah. that's yes, the way yes, pansies bully. Right. 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 Uh, you know, that's, uh, uh, we, we do it to their faces and if you got to take a beating or if you got to give a beating, then so be it. And, and, mm-hmm. and there, there should be a part of us that's like, yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the scene, you know, spoiler alert where, uh, uh, uh where his, his protege, uh, takes out all of the bullies in the school in one fight. I mean, that's, I think that's kind of the pinnacle of the movie or the pinnacle of the, the series, mm-hmm. right? It, that's, that's this great moment in, in, in the thing. And, and again, that, that is something that you don't really see a teacher from who's shaped by today doing. Uh, right, but the other right. side of that is we get the, you know, the, the, the logical con- progression 
ends in the the cheap shots at the tournament and the uh, uh, the 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 winning by shady means in in questionable circumstances uh, mm-hmm. because they're still winning at all costs, right? Uh, you you don't get the one without the other. Uh, and and I mean we're, we haven't brought up Danny yet, but you see the same thing in his character, right? This this person who is basically decent, who whose basic decency also hasn't changed since the '80s, clearly is struggling to take good care of his family, right? To uh, mm-hmm. uh, to raise his children, to deal with his idiot cousin, uh, to uh, <laughs> uh, you know even to even to uh, deal with the other car dealership down the street, right? I mean, they're they're sure. he's also struggling and uh, for for basically the same reason, although with a different character. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting too because both Johnny and Daniel uh, have this arc, like Danny was talking about, uh, where they have their moment of redemption, right? I mean, with Johnny, it is when he has dinner with Miguel's family and realizes that he has really become his sensei. And after that, I mean, visually, I mean, I, and I picked up on this, he goes back to his apartment and starts actually tidying up his apartment, right? And the next time you see his apartment, I mean, it looks like, you know, uh, your Republican voting uncle's apartment, right? You know, but (laughs) not the sort that your mom doesn't want you to visit, the sort that is, you know, the good guy, right? You know, who might disagree with you on some points and might still talk a little crazy, but still fundamentally decent, right? And likewise with Daniel, when he visits the grave of Miyagi, right? He regains that balance for a moment, but then, you know this is what makes this such an interesting story is that it has that sense of tragedy, right? Those things don't get left alone uh, because the things that these guys did before that point in the story come back and they still have a gravitational pull so that the way that Johnny treated his son pulls him back into, pulls him back off balance, right? To use the, the series vocabulary. And likewise, you know, uh, Daniel, when he, gets a sense that, you know, uh, his new protege might be another chance to get back at Johnny, he can't resist it, right? I mean, you know, I, I, I think it is notable that, that Daniel still makes Robbie his protege at the end, knowing full well that Robbie has set up so many terrible things in the world just to get revenge on Johnny Lawrence. Yeah, and there's a real interesting doubling then between Johnny and Daniel, right? Um, and and, mm-hmm. and it, when they go on that car ride, for various reasons, I mean, it's just the details are not important. Daniel gives Johnny a car because J- Daniel's cousin wrecked his well, car. Yeah, because the idiot cousin yeah. firebombed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> With his biker buddies. Yeah, the idiot yeah. cousin <laughs> is totally a character that was, should be in The Sopranos. I mean, he's like just right out of that series. Um, oh, that's great. That's great. So, um, he's right out of that series. He's somebody that Tony would be done with and have whacked like in the third uh-huh. season, right? And so, um, but he, um, uh, yeah, he wrecks uh, Johnny's car. And so Daniel, out of some sort of obligation and to defuse oh, a no, fight. His wife told him to. Yeah, uh, to defuse a fight. Like the what they're about to uh, fight at Daniel's house. And the wife comes out and says, why are you acting like children? Just sit around and have breakfast and talk about it. And then, and then she makes him give him a car because he has a car lot, right? It's like, it's literally yeah. no skin off his back. Right. And so um, he gives him this really cool, like Dodge or charger, I think it is. And, um, mm-hmm. 
really cool for an eighties guy. Right. And so, yeah. um, and so, uh, it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and so then he, uh, they have this real bonding moment in that time. And then their narratives like spin off in opposite directions again. Right. And they spin off because Robbie's plot is revealed. Right. Exactly. They, they come in and Robbie is there at Daniel's home dojo. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden you realize that he has been the one pulling the strings all along. Yeah. And, and so it's and, fascinating because on one level, Robbie Keen, who is Johnny Lawrence's son, is, you know, a hundred percent a vulnerable teenage character in search of a mentor figure, right? Yeah. On the other hand, he is also a Shakespearean villain. He is leading these two, you know, potential wizard figures, like I mentioned before, I mean, into their own doom by his own machinations, right? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I mean, in this one, or let me back up, in nineteen eighty four, the teenage characters were really the puppets and John Creese and and Mr. Miyagi were the powerful figures, yeah. right? Uh, and, you know, Pat Morita's famous line, you know, no such thing as bad student, only bad teacher, yeah, right? Yeah. In this one, in some ways, Robbie Keane is more powerful than either of the teachers. I mean, he is definitely the one who instigates the uh, the drama, the actions, right? And yeah, so, yeah. Um, and yeah, and there, that's, that's not, but... It's because of the gaping hole that his own father, Johnny, left in him, right? I mean, yeah, and so he, he's absolutely. not he, he's not solely responsible for that then. And that's one of the kind of <laughs> ways in which this is way – it's very much in the Karate Kid universe, but way more complicated and way more interesting than anything in those old movies, which were very – you know, this, we have to have a story done in 90 minutes. And so let's keep it simple, right? Um, right, um, right. In this case, you've got this, uh, this sense in which we can really complicate these characters and make them more real. Um, and, and honestly, I kind of feel like we'll talk about fathers down the road. We have this kind of like, who's who, like everybody's a father figure to someone else. Mm -hmm. Johnny is left holding the potato at the end with no mentor. Right. And I think that's the one person in this. I mean, even Daniel has Mr. Miyagi's grave. Well, until the last 90 seconds. Well, and that's where we'll end. Yeah. We'll talk about, (laughs) yeah, that, that kind of twist at the end. Um, and And we are going to spoil that. Right. Cause I mean, yeah, well, there's no point in not spoiling this. Yeah. That's, that's (laughs) the reason to watch season two now. Right. And so, um, and so, um, but yeah. And so up until that point for this, this season of the show, there is no father figure for Johnny. He's figuring all of this out on his own, right? Yeah. And when he sees the result of his kind of teaching during that last tournament, he's kind of, he's as appalled by it as we are, but he's totally clueless about what to do about uh, what he has wrought kind of, you know what I mean? And then in comes, you know, the, we'll talk about the, the twist at the end later on, but, and and we'll talk more in depth (laughs) about fathers um, as we go on. But in, in the same way that, um, Miguel, the fatherless Miguel, who um, his family inspires Johnny to clean up to Marie Kondo his house, right? Yeah. Um, the um, um, he does that, and and but that's observing a family as a model, right? Um, and, and giving that advice not from a father figure, right? He's sort of figuring that out on his own. Daniel goes to visit Mr. Miyagi's grave and has this semi-mystical experience where Mr. Miyagi's advice kind of comes back to him and uh, about balance, from right? From the 1984 movie. Yes, yeah, very much so. <laughs> and they, which are very effectively used throughout the series, oh, I have God, to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, they're not ham-fisted at all. They're actually really, um, really greatly used. Um, and then, mm-hmm. but then uh, he then goes and Marie Kondo's his little shed and makes himself a little karate studio. Um, and so you have that, that dueling um, between 
between the two characters. And at, at that point, they're coming together, right? And there's mm-hmm. seemingly a reconciliation until that moment when um, Robbie's deceit is, uh, is, right. is revealed. And, and the moment before Robbie's deceit, and I, I, I said this in the show notes, I've I've never gotten emotional at a reference to Rocky Three before. <laughs> but as they're walking into the home dojo... Uh, Johnny is telling Daniel, you've seen Rocky three, right? We need to fight one last time to see who wins. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, uh, and this is, you know, what I talked about in the notes, this is the partial knowledge plot, right? This is what Shakespeare uses, uh, to such great effect is that we in the audience know that Robbie is there around the corner. They do not. So we're watching them walk into their own disintegration. Yeah. And as they are walking into their own disintegration, they're about to become body buddies like Rocky and Apollo were buddies, but we know it's not going to happen. So like I said, that, that, that is the most emotional I've ever gotten at a reference to Rocky three, but it works. Yeah. And it's very tragic, right? There's a, there's mm-hmm. a, a very deep sense of tragedy. Miguel's character, most of all, I think. And, and, um, um, and I would say Hawk more than Miguel, but we can talk about the mm, teenage characters here in a minute. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Um, before we get to there though, um, I think Johnny is a, an interesting moment. <laughs> he provides an interesting mm. moment to talk about nostalgia. Um, and, and so yeah. there is a, um, a move in our culture that we've been talking about for a long time, even on this show, this kind of reverence for the eighties um, that has been, mm-hmm. you know, resurgent in the last few years. We did the show on um, ready player one and, and it's and all that kind of thing before we've done this on this show before um, this show and stranger things. Um, this show definitely picks up that impulse. There's like a market for eighties nostalgia. Right. Um, yeah. and, and I think that it's, it's really, me. It, what's that? <laughs> It's called me. <laughs> you are the market. For <laughs> there is a market and I am it. Yes. Um, and so, <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, but this show definitely cashes in on it. It's filled with eighties music. And it's one thing mm-hmm. you want to talk about is that don't fit. I think you have it as a, a thing, an item that doesn't fit in the, uh, in it the story. Fit the other parts of the show notes. Um, oh, 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 I see. <laughs> I thought you meant the show. <laughs> I thought you meant the no, series no, no, itself. No, no. Okay. The show is just fine. It's just I couldn't figure out where to slot it in above in the show notes. I gotcha. Um, and so, but anyway, the movie uh, is like built on this kind of 80s soundtrack in a lot of ways and references mm-hmm. to movies and Johnny's kind of um, reliance on 80s diction, right? The way you kind of talk in the 80s, which is rougher and gruffer and his kind of disconnect with uh, contemporary society and he doesn't understand PC culture and all that kind of thing. What's a Facebook? What's Facebook? Yeah, what's a, yeah, yeah exactly, right? Um, and, and, and all that. And yet, and so, but this doesn't seem like to settle on kind of just recycling nostalgia. And this is where this show is actually really closely related to the show that came out last week uh, for the listener about Weezer and capitalist realism. Cause we're mm. also talking about um, nostalgia as a kind of a poison uh, in terms of that mm. album. Okay. And we use Mark Fisher's book, capitalist realism to kind of situate that, which is essentially his word for postmodernism. He has, he's just kind of adopted or adapted the term postmodernism um, and tried to find, attach it to material reasons. Um, and so, but, uh, this show doesn't seem to fall into the trap that Weezer's Teal album falls into. I think, um, Johnny himself is not just a hero because he's a nostalgia driven person. That's also his limitations. And that's also what mm-hmm. like also ultimately curses him, right? And, and plays into the tragedy. And I think this show definitely draws on nostalgic tropes, but ultimately 
subverts them and like undermines them to create something for a new generation. And I, and I think that in some, um, in some ways it's almost the antidote to nostalgia more than it is nostalgia. I don't know if Mm, you guys have any thoughts on that. Okay. Coil, you want to take a swing at that? Yeah. I mean, again, it's this issue of, yeah, there, there was a lot of great stuff in the eighties and yeah, it would be great if we could bring a lot of that back, but it's, there would be consequences that we don't see because we're looking at it through the filter of nostalgia. So <laughs> as with, yes, we, we do want to see someone go and beat up all of the, you know, Facebook bullies and people who say awful things about other people online. And mm-hmm. like, we, we want to see that the stuff that I'm assuming the three of us as you know children of the eighties or thereabouts don't understand because even for our generation who did have some kind of computers and some kind of internet bullying was still face to face, right? The idea yeah, of electronic yeah. bullying was just beyond the pale. Like it, it didn't exist and people hadn't mm-hmm. figured out how to use it quite that use the technology that way yet. So yes, it, it would be deeply satisfying to see someone come along and clean house. But then you also have to deal with that person who is now willing to kick another person in the injured shoulder in order to winning meaningless trophy. Yeah. 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 And I think the fulcrum between that difference, like the, the moment of like right at the border of when it's awesome and when it sucks is, um, is at that party on the beach when Aisha, is that her name? Yeah. Um, she basically gives a front end wedgie to the girl bully that's been, um, Mm -hmm. cyber bullying her the whole time. At some point that's it one up and it's, it's almost completely satisfying, except it's just at the limits of what is like acceptable, right? In some places, it's, it's, you know what I'm saying? I feel like that's the moment for me when you can really see the difference between when that old way of being would be beneficial and useful and corrective to our culture and when it becomes like ridiculous and, and, and abusive in its own right, right? Um, yeah, I mean, when which the is, only which way is exactly what we see at that party. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, when your only avenue for establishing your dignity is to destroy someone else's body, yeah, something has gone high haywire. Yeah, and it's at that same party that Miguel and um, gosh, what's Robbie. her name? Uh, Rob oh, Samantha. Samantha break up. Who's Samantha is Daniel's daughter, who's been dating yes. the child nemesis. So yeah, but about uh, um, uh, the the mentor, the mentee of the, his childhood nemesis. There, there's so, a lot of Shakespeare going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. It's very <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, right? And so, uh-huh. um, and uh, but at this point, Miguel's anger gets ahead of him, and he actually accidentally hits Samantha, and thus ending their relationship. Right. So it's right. at that same party, which is very Othello. Yes, it, it very much was. Wow. Um, um, but it's at that <laughs> same party where Aisha does this very kind of satisfying revenge <laughs> against mm-hmm. uh, against the cyber bully uh, in physical form. Miguel's actions like show us how that was really too far, I think, uh, in yeah. the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. Nathan? No, I, I was just going to say, I mean, now that we're on to the uh, teenage characters, I mean, one thing I'll say is that they cast the teenage characters very well. Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, since you have, I mean, uh, and Coyle, if you want to defend... Feel free to defend, but I mean, neither Billy Zabka nor, uh, you know, Ralph Macchio is a great actor in, in his own right. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, it really is the young actors that, you know, do a lot of the heavy lifting on the dramatic end, right? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, Miguel, um, he does have this tragic arc. Danny, I, I do want to return to this question of Miguel and, and Hawk, right? Yeah. Uh, Eli Moskowitz is this character's name. Uh, and this character was born with a cleft palate. So he had a surgery that left him with a very prominent scar on his lip. 
Uh, and he also is, there's hints, and they, they mention it as hints, that he might be on the autism spectrum. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for this reason, I mean, he is just the perpetual victim for the first three quarters of this series until he joins Cobra Kai, at which point he becomes even more of a victim because now he has this over-the-hill 54-year-old karate sensei also bullying him about his lip, right? I mean, about and, his lip. <laughs> yes, and that's to where the point every... that he storms off. Yes, and at that point, I honestly thought, okay, at this point, Johnny is just unqualifiedly the villain. But again, this is what makes this series so interesting: is that later that episode, Eli Moskowitz comes back. He has gotten a mohawk haircut and dyed his hair. He comes in. Johnny doesn't even recognize him. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and he and he dubs him not Lip, which is what he called him when he was bullying this teenage kid, but Hawk. Yeah, and he. Th- this is a moment of the writing where I think they they drop the ball because he uses a very 21st century phrase. Look, he flipped the script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, dadgummit, Johnny can't talk like it's the 21st century, but <laughs> it works because it becomes. I mean, this such a moment of emotional tension because you realize that this character is no longer a victim from that moment forward. He is nobody's victim in this series. Right. Uh, but what it turns out and, and Danny, you already kind of narrated this is that when he becomes a character defined by this will to power, self-definition exertion of himself in the world, destroying anyone who would oppose him, he becomes the Machiavellian character Mm -hmm that horrifies Johnny precisely because he's becoming like a miniature version of John Kreese, the evil sensei from the 1984 karate kid movie. Yeah. Right. Come on. What is, what is more eighties than a blue dyed Mohawk? <laughs> <laughs> when he gets a giant Hawk tattooed to his tattoo. back. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and he totally like changes his personality then. Right. Um, and oh, he, yeah. he becomes a ladies man and, um, and all of the, mm-hmm. all of the, uh, he's a complete. And so at, to a point, in some ways, I mean, as, as a you know, a bullied eighth grader, that would have been my fantasy. Yes, <laughs> and and it's empowering, it's inspiring to see this kid sort of take charge of his life and um, and mm-hmm. stand up to people, right, and create him, create his own identity um, um, out of his own will, right. That is inspiring until it happens, right, and then yeah. the end that sets the stage for the tragedy of of him actually not fighting back against the bully, he becomes the bully himself, right? Um, yeah, and, and what's interesting is in the 1984 movie, uh, I think it's not Tommy, it's Bobby. Bobby, you know, mm-hmm. he has to be ordered by Sensei Kreese to go after Daniel and frog him, right? Yeah. Uh, jump kicks him in, you know, just above the kneecap, which, oh man, I've had that injury. And I mean, I when I watched that movie, I still wince because I yeah. know that that just hurts. Uh but Hawk doesn't need that prompting. He does it on his own. He is, he has become the Machiavellian John Kreese. So he has basically outrun Johnny right when Johnny realizes Johnny has run too far. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's got all of the abilities and all of the attitude, but none of the proper limits. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. There's not an off switch for him. He's, he's either fully the, the victim or fully the bully. Yeah. And he's a reproduction of Johnny then who had no father to provide him that kind of wisdom um, himself. Therefore he has nothing to pass on in terms of that. Right. And I think here's where the slogan of Cobra Kai might come in, uh, into play here. It's there's three phrases that they paint on the wall. Um, strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and so 
it's almost you can almost see the movie the series excuse me divided into three acts um that kind of yeah, you, you can call it a movie danny it's basically <laughs> a five-hour movie <laughs> true um, it's true um um it, yeah it's uh but it's divided in almost the three acts so the whole idea of striking mm-hmm. first um and and it, uh, comes into play with miguel's kind of dating tactics right and then mm-hmm. you know striking hard is sort of getting back at the bullies kind of you know what i mean and then at the very end or the very beginning of the last episode he introduces them to the concept of no mercy right mm-hmm. um and so right before the freaking tournament starts you in- instigate this idea of no mercy uh into these kids who you've sort of kind of brainwashed into this uh, cobra yeah. kai mentality right without any kind of wisdom or guidance about what that actually means uh and, and what right. the implications are and what the kind of moral quandaries that come with that that philosophy are and so of course hawk like enacts that like that phrase that no mercy phrase which makes him sort of a dirty fighter and he becomes kind of the villain of the series of of right right of the group and, and that really i mean is one of the great partial knowledge plot devices in this series is that you know after he gives that speech about no mercy you're right hawk has completely internalized it i mean he has become the cobra kai yeah. right then johnny goes off sees his son and then after seeing his son walk in in a gi, he goes over and looks at a picture of John Kreese on the wall. He is having this moral transformation that his students don't know about. Yeah. As far as they are concerned, they are reaching the apex of everything he has taught them and everything he ever will teach them. But in his world, they are becoming John Kreese who tried to kill him 34 years ago. Yeah. And and they're reaching that apex at the moment he understands that it's terrible, right? And so he's, yeah, he's yeah. unable to do anything about it. So again, I you know, I I know I keep coming back to this. I mean, but th- this is Shakespeare's signature dramatic move, right? We the audience know about all three of these streams of the plot that are going at once, but any character on the stage only knows about one of them. So we watch the character go to her doom, go to his doom. Uh, and you know that is what causes the the emotional power of a scene in a Shakespeare tragedy. And really, you know, the writers of Cobra Kai uh, have read their Shakespeare. I mean, they know mm. how to do this, and they do it well. Yeah, and, and it's interesting to me too that, um, and I'll let Coyle jump in here in a second. Um, I think that one of the ways in which this film subverts its nostalgia is by importing these Shakespearean um, tragic elements, right? And so to the mm-hmm. point where at the end of this play or this, this series, this play, I almost said, um, we, <laughs> we don't even know who to cheer for in that tournament, right? Um, yeah. Everybody's right. so complicated um, because of these Shakespearean turns. It's utterly unlike the easy nostalgia of the Karate Kid when it was obvious who the good person was and who the bad person was. Although we're all cheering for Abuela because she smoked up before the tournament and she's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Well, the grandmother. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. She's yeah, she's a a classic character, actually. Um, Oh, man. Yeah. But but in the, the fight scenes itself, we don't know who the good people are and who the bad people are. We don't know who we're supposed to cheer for. And, and it's, so it's almost like it's turned our nostalgia into a moral indictment on ourselves. Uh, and, and so yeah, it, it really pro- uh, provides a really great, oh, I guess, I guess 
thought exercise, like a moral exercise uh, to watch the show and to do some deep thinking about the values that we uh, that we try to import into the modern world from an older time. Um, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll push back. Out, taking a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'll push back just a little bit. Uh, uh-huh. you know, being being a good conservative, I like to simplify the world into clear good and evil. So with that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, with, with that last well this is why conservatism uh, doesn't work you realize that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, with that last fight scene I mean I, I think it's pretty clear certainly as the tournament goes on by, by the end of the tournament it's pretty clear Cobra Kai are once again the bad guys and the uh, the practitioners of what, what do they call it Miyagi-Do yeah. they're, they're clearly the good guys right? and yeah that's not how they started out right? Miguel was the good guy and Robbie was the bad guy at the beginning, you know, the, the criminal kid who was just using people to, you know, advance his criminal schemes with his criminal buddies, and then the, the good kid is in town and gets bullied. But by that, by the last, you know, tournament fight scene, they are in completely different slots. And the if there is confusion, it's because we've been following these two characters from the very beginning when they were different people. Uh, but now they're they're not the people they were anymore. Now one of them clearly is a bully, and one of them, we're not told as much about what Robbie is, is like, but I mean, I think the idea is he is supposed to have changed. He, he is supposed to have become a, a better person who is more restrained and more uh, wanting to you know, pursue the righteous path or whatever whatever the language Danny uses. I don't remember now. Uh, but he, he, is, he is clearly the good guy, uh, at least in terms of his character at the end of the show. And, and Miguel is clearly the bad guy again, in terms of his character at the end of the show. And yeah, when we, when we take the full five hours into account, that gets complicated and messy. But as for that last fight scene, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty clear who we should be cheering for. Uh, and, and it's interesting that he loses, right? So there's the, uh, mm. sorry, spoiler, uh, uh, you know, Robbie, Robbie loses when Miguel takes a cheap shot at his, uh, at his injured arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, so it's it's still different from the original movie, and it's still messing with nostalgia. Uh, and there there is the satisfaction of you know Miguel did genuinely work for it, right? He he did put in the time, and he did get the skills and the you know nece- necessary attitude in order to be able to win. Uh, but he still does it by taking a not an illegal shot, maybe within the the bounds of the rules, but a shot that was morally questionable. Yeah. Oh sure, sure. I, and I would say that, I mean, he is a bad guy in that scene in the way that Kylo Ren is in the new Star Wars movies. Hmm. Uh, I mean, he is as much a victim as he is a victimizer. Yeah, and I think that there's a paradox there, too, if if you want. So he becomes the villain by believing in simplistic narratives about morality, right? So he, he like, buys into these I, I don't want to put, I don't want to like alienate Coyle. He's a friend of mine. Right. And so, um, but the, the, the conservative ideas about clear definitions between good and evil, like, um, because he believes those things so strongly, he's empowered, um, to actually become the evil. So it's almost like, uh, th- there's a paradox built in the way that good and evil get perpetuated is by believing in good and evil <laughs> kind of. Um, well, I, I don't know because Cobra yeah, Kai never presents itself as good. It, it presents itself as powerful. Right. So, I mean, it right. is this Nietzschean inversion, right? Where the opposite of good is not evil. The opposite of good is weak. 
Um, I guess that's true, but um, it, the power is only necessary because of a defined evil by these bullies, these rich bullies that are picking on on all uh, the kids who become Cobra Kai. So there might not be a good, but there's definitely an evil that they're push, pushing back against. But not in this dojo. In this dojo, there is no fear. In this dojo, there is no weakness. Hmm. Yeah, this is where I'm, you say yes, I'm, I'm Sensei. On this one. Just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, he even in the uh, and maybe we'll get to this. Even in the difference between the training methods, right? Uh, the the Cobra Kai training is you you learn how to hit and kick and whatever in such a way uh, that it does damage to your opponent uh, because you are stronger than them, right? Because you're superior yeah. to them. Uh, whereas the the Miyagi Do means of training uh, is. I mean, I think, and I think this is really one of the appeals of the original movie, uh, and and even of this the series, which they do a great job of. Uh, I think of of both capturing the original stuff and kind of adding to it and modernizing it a little bit. Uh, but it's all stuff that anyone can do, right? I I I, I can't do karate, but I can paint a fence, right? I, I can't. <laughs> yeah. I, I can I can wax the car and I can wash windows and I can do all of that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and if that becomes that sort of faithfulness in the daily activities of life, then becomes the grounds for my self defense, uh, because that faithfulness in the daily activities of life is a good thing to be. It's a good thing to do. Uh, I'm I'm learning along the way all of the lessons about good and evil, and and you know Miyagi, and then Daniel reinforces that with the lessons about balance and. Uh, uh, which I think is always sort of questionable language, particularly for Christians. But even whether we're talking Star Wars or Karate Kid, no one really means balance. What what they all really mean oh, yeah, is the yeah. good guys, right? Which is why the new Star right. Wars movie, so many people disliked because I think they were really going for balance, and that's mm-hmm. that's not what well. So and, that's I mean, diff- and yeah, and Coyle, I mean, to keep going in that theological direction, I mean, the reason that Daniel becomes villainous is because he falls short of Miyagi Do, right? the reason that Johnny becomes villainous is because he becomes too good at Cobra Kai. So in other words, I mean, the good and the evil in this universe are Miyagi-Do and Cobra Kai, but neither character is completely good or completely evil because Daniel cannot be Mr. Miyagi. He's too consumed by revenge. And on the other hand, Daniel or Johnny is not completely villainous because when he reaches the apex of Cobra Kai, he starts to repent of it. I mean, and either can either one exist without the other because one is about aggression and the other is about defense, right? And so, if you're a Miyagi Do yeah, yeah. person, if two Miyagi Dos can't fight each other, essentially, I mean, it's it's impossible uh-huh. to imagine a fight between two. Uh, although in Karate Kid Two, they do. <laughs> okay, I've forgotten that. <laughs> I actually don't. I have, I have no memory of that at all. So, um, but that's all right. That's all right. Um, well, I do think in order to kind of pursue this. Um, I think mm-hmm. that it's a good opportunity to talk a little bit about the politics of this um, um, series. I think that it's clearly responding to the alt-right and, and the Trump era, right? I think mm-hmm. that there's a way in which um, Johnny's pre- present presentation at the beginning as this like kind of person who's put upon by the modern world – we're supposed to have sympathy for at the beginning, right? We kind of, um, he's, he's like a way of like humanizing the Trump voter for, for liberals, uh, if you will. Okay. Um, and, and I think that he, he carries with him this kind of like, I, I don't understand political correctness, Ben Shapiro fan sort of, um, um, uh, like, 
way of, about him. I don't know how to say it. I don't know. I'm looking well, for it now. Well, and the way he goes after it is a very Trumpian way to counter that, right? It is attack, attack, attack. Yes. The best defense is more offense. Yeah. And so I think that this, um, but, and so you gave me a couple of um, uh, essays to read uh, in, in anticipation of this. And one is like a kind of a liberal view and one is a conservative view of the series. Mm-hmm. And, and, oh, I, and I, what a Rorschach test this series is. Isn't yes, it? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. If you, if you just read those essays and didn't watch the show, you wouldn't know they were about the same series. And the, the comments, honestly, about the series that you see um, are very much like people see Johnny's like advice as just liberating and awesome, right? You know, and, and mm-hmm. Hawk's transformation is great. And you can sort of see where they're coming from um, um, based on their reaction to the show, right? And their unwillingness to understand the complicated nature of all of these stories, right? I think um, says something about your, uh, the Rorschach test is a perfect metaphor for it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but so what do you guys think the show is trying to do kind of politically though, other than, is I feel like it's more than just trying to represent a political moment. I think it's trying to speak into it in some way. Oh, sure. Cause I mean, I've seen, you know, sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, right-wing villains, right? I mean, Kylo Ren is a perfect, perfect example, right? Yeah. You know, he is one who idolizes the old empire who, you know, uh, wants to put, you know, the resistance uh, into the ground. I mean, honestly, I don't get much of a sense that he doesn't like, you know, uh, I don't know, Ray or whoever else, but that he wants to be Darth Vader, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, that one is honestly a little bit more ham fisted than this one, because in Cobra Kai, you know, these kids are brought into, you know, this, this new way of interacting with the world that, like I said, I mean, doesn't remind me of either political party as much as it does of a Nietzschean will to power, right? Mm. You establish your dignity by destroying those who oppose you. Okay. Yeah. But... And, and, and you can disagree here in a second, Danny. That's fine. But <laughs> uh, I think that, you know, the series as a work of art complicates that because, first of all, the people who claim to be against that still act like Cobra Kai, right? When when Daniel starts shutting down convenience stores to strike back at his enemy, that's a Cobra Kai thing to do, right? Yeah. But likewise... Uh, there seems to be some kind of moral force in the universe because despite having no mentor figure, like you said, Danny, Johnny by the end uh, really starts to repent of the ways of Cobra Kai. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I know we're supposed to be focusing on season one, but I've been watching the trailers for season two. Right. You know, the, the trailer that, you know, takes place in the dojo the day after the tournament. Right. I mean, he what he seems to be going towards is a more purified version of a Nietzschean will to power, whereas, you know, the John Kreese influence is more of a Machiavellian, be a fox, don't be a lion. Well, I, I think uh, at the end, his uh, apparent repentance, right, the, mm-hmm. that we see hinted at in the trailer, which, again, the trailer for season one was pretty pretty deceptive, so who knows what's actually oh, yeah, coming yeah. in season two. Uh uh, the the apparent repentance. My my read on that was, I have trained people how to beat up my son, right? And and uh, if it had been any other person that they were oh, fighting, I don't know if he would have okay. had that moment. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, uh So if if it had been random person that Danny had taught how to fight, uh, that had gotten the cheap shots against him, I yeah. don't I don't know that we're supposed to assume Johnny would have had that moment. Right. Okay. Um, point taken. 
Point taken. Yeah. And uh, and I would also, my again, my my read on it was that Danny had uh, had kind of repented of his. Uh, his his acts of revenge against Johnny, uh, both both the convenience store stuff, uh, and and at the end, uh, uh, again my my sort of read of Danny's wanting to help out Robbie in the fight because Robbie signs up on his own, like yeah. without a without a mentor. Uh, it mm-hmm. was more of a, hey, this kid actually is trying, and I did teach him, and he seems to be learning, and less of a, I'm going to stick it to Johnny. Um, oh, that's I might a, be misreading okay, that. Maybe I'm giving okay. t- such good. No, uh, no, no, no. I think that's a, a valid reading of it. I, it's different than mine, but I think the the evidence is there. Well, and it, again, it's it uncomplicates Danny a little bit. It it, it, uh, <laughs> it, uh, uh, it straightens, smooths things over just a little bit. But I think you're right. I mean, again, the the issue with Cobra Kai is is that there is not a a governing moral force. Uh, strike first, strike hard, and don't show mercy. There, there are probably contexts when that's appropriate, uh, but he never actually teaches them. Yeah, but that's within, you know, within the bounds of the rules of the tournament, right? right which right. is why Hawk does what he does and doesn't feel yeah. bad about it because you never and, said. And even in the trailer, you know, his objection is not that you should strike hard, strike first for good reasons. It's right. you should strike hard, strike first, and prove that you have real power, not fake power. Right. Uh, and and some of that I'm assuming is just his own upbringing. Like so, he clearly has some kind of moral compass, right? It's mm-hmm. it, 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 there's there's not much of it, but it's it's something. So even when he's talking to Miguel about you know pursuing women, uh, and and Miguel's like, oh no means no, and Johnny's like, well yeah of course physically, right? So there, there's still there's still something there, right? There, there yeah, there's still yeah. things that he would not do. He just never teaches those things to his students. Right. I mean, he's never been taught, right? I mean, we have, um, I want to get into the fathers a little bit. Ed Asner is his stepfather and he's like really mm-hmm. great actually right. in a lot of ways. But um, I, I just, I want to like, I guess push back. I guess what I'm saying is I don't know that, that the politics of Cobra Kai of the, of the dojo Cobra Kai um, mm-hmm. map directly onto a political party necessarily mm-hmm. But I think it maps onto a political movement, and I think that this sort of okay. um, internet-based alt-right, um, like re- reactionary um, sorts of politics, that seems to be primarily motivated to stand up against political correctness. I, mean, I can't think of anything else they believe in other yeah. than we don't like political correctness, right? And so, although Johnny despises cyberbullying, um, true, um, it's true. I, I suppose that's, um, but, but the uh, the. Opposite of that, if you take cyberbullying out, you get Charlottesville, right? And so when you take, when it leaves the cyber world and enters the real world, it looks like Cobra Kai kind of still, right? And so I do think that there is a, um, a parallel to be made between this importation of the more poisonous um, aspects of the 80s into the modern world. And I think they're trying to... Um, this is the great America that Trump wants to make. Um, I think mm-hmm. it is, this is what it actually looks like in, 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 in the real world. And I do think that there's a, um, a really kind of chilling parallel to the alt-right. And I do think, no, one thing that's interesting, um, I think an interesting character to follow in the second season, and I don't know if they're going to follow up on this or not, is, um, is his name Dimitri? It's Hawk's friend. Yeah, Dimitri. Yeah. Um, the, the, 
bull, other bullied kind of nerdy, hilarious nerdy kid. Um, right, from, but the one who does not go to Cobra Kai. Yes, he he quits right. Cobra Kai really quickly because he doesn't like the bullying, right? And at the end, mm-hmm. having seen Miguel's success, he says, well, you know, I haven't decided whether I'm going to go to Cobra Kai or not, but it seems to work for you kind of. Um, but I seem to see see him in the background of the Miyagi dojo dojo yes, you do. Um, at the, uh, in the <laughs> season two. So his mm-hmm. decision about which, um, which reaction to take is, is I think going to be an interesting one to make. Um, and so I think I, I, there's a really interesting political, um, thought experiment going on in this show. Uh, and, and so I think that's definitely worth tuning into as you watch it, uh, if you haven't seen it mm-hmm. yet. So, um, can we get into the fathers a little bit before maybe wrapping this up? Um, we should. Uh, yeah, I think uh, so. I mean, obviously, there seems to be this like er father that is like the the ultimate bad father, and it's Ed Asner's character, right? Um, even mm-hmm. before Crease enters into um, Johnny's life, um, Ed Asner's character is his stepfather, who. Basic. I mean, he seems to me like Donald Trump. <laughs> He's like he, buying uh, everything he has is only about his money. Everything's Donald Trump with you, Danny. Well, no, no. I mean, I think that <laughs> Trump is under every rock here. Well, no, I'm just saying he is the. I mean, the the. I, I do think he's the model no, yeah, for that you are character. Right. I mean, concrete details, Danny. Concrete details. I mean, in the fact that he has no kind of like um, moral compass, he he doesn't actually love his family. He loves having a family and it's all about monetary exchange for him. Right. right? And so, I mean, there at how he comes into Dan, into Johnny's life. Um, well, he's, uh, married his mother. Right. And so he's sort of very much younger trophy wife. Yes, exactly. Yes. (laughs) Okay. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. You want to go into more details. (laughs) You're going to say Trump gets some evidence, man. (laughs) And yes. Uh, um, okay. Yes. Absolutely. Why don't you say it more because you can, uh, so, uh, uh, Johnny's stepfather who we meet, you know, for the first time in this series, he doesn't appear in the 84 movie, uh, is a very wealthy man. Uh, he marries Johnny's mother as a trophy wife. And almost entirely neglects Johnny. Uh, you know, he, he resents having to pay for his karate lessons. Uh, he says that he's going to quit this just like he did his guitar lessons, yada, yada, yada. We know because we've seen Karate Kid that he doesn't. It actually turns him into an 80s villain. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> when he first appears in Cobra Kai, uh, he basically says, uh, you are just a disappointment to me. So I'm cutting ties with you here. I've written a check. I'm buying my way out of your life. Yeah. And, and so then now we'll, well, and then Johnny uses that check to start Cobra Kai, basically, when he, yep. when he, when he comes to that, you know, uh, Lou Gossett Jr. moment of, uh, of, <laughs> of, of, of inspiration. And so, um, but the absence of that father, like the poisonous presence of that father, actually. So Johnny actually grows up kind of rich, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it's only, be, it's only in the context of this very kind of like, coarse unloving relationship that is not really fatherly it's transactional yeah. right um and so and 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 so he is extra baggage that comes with the trophy wife johnny is yes exactly and then when he at the Towards after Johnny's made his sort of uh, heroic turn, um, he comes back and gives back all the money um, to Ed Asner that he's sort of re-earned through the dojo, and says, um, and and then he said, you know, it's it's money. It's like you only gave me money because it's all you had to give. I think is the term he uh, yeah. is the way he phrases it, right? And it's a very mm-hmm. kind of um, insightful, great moment. But that lack of a father pushed him ultimately in his youth to another poisonous father who is Crease, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Crease is the one who trains him to be this kind of poisonous person. And he 
kind of unwittingly transmits that to his own students for whom he is now a father figure, right? And so right. it's almost like with, without his conscious knowledge, he has now kind of passing on the negative wisdom of crease to these uh, to this new generation of students of kids who need fathers basically right um mm-hmm. and then you've got the whole like switching like his son is actually being um metaphorically raised by his enemy um and daniel's daughter is dating the you know uh metaphorical son of of johnny and so you have all this kind of cross-pollination and complicated depictions of fatherhood um what do you think this is trying to say about our society, I guess. Coyle, well, take out, take that one on. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it's saying about society, but I, I think <laughs> the obvious point is, uh, that the fatherhood is important. Uh, although the, uh, uh the here is Danny, right. Who, who also does not have a father, uh, literally does not have a father, but finds the, the good father figure in Miyagi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I, I guess the, uh, I guess the societal message is, you know, broken homes are bad, but non-broken homes with terrible as their father figures are worse. Yeah. Um, so find a good find a good father figure. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd, uh, I'd honestly have to think more about that because there are so many father figures in this and it is, uh, it is by no means certain that having a bad father, or bad father figure means that you turn out bad, mm-hmm. right? That's 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 not a guaranteed thing, uh, as as Robbie is evidence of, right? Who yeah he uh, he has a bad father figure and starts out bad but ends up good, and Miguel because of a new father figure though, right? <laughs> because of a new father figure, uh, but also Danny's kids, uh, Samantha uh, is uh, uh, we they don't really do a whole lot with her character uh, in in this. Uh, she's she's there, but there's not really development. It's just sort of things happen to and around her. Yeah. Uh, but his his son is obviously headed towards. Uh, I mean, I, I I probably the best he can look forward to is a uh, what was the name of the the kid who quit quit Cobra Kai? I'm I'm blanking on his name. Dimitri. Now. Meetry, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of the best that we can future we can see for him. I don't know. Unless I see something the, changes. I see the son is Don Junior. Um, I have to. Say. <laughs> <laughs> um. uh, and 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 that's that's clearly a failure on Danny's part, right? That's that's mm. clearly he has not put in the time with his son that he did put in with his daughter, uh, and uh, uh, so you know they had uh, uh, he had taught Samantha karate. Uh, starting when she was young and then proceeding for, for a while until they, they stopped and that sort of fell out, which is yet another place where Danny kind of failed as a father figure. Um, and he, he clearly has not done any of that with his son. Uh, mm-hmm. His son is surrounded by gadgets and kind of the standard stereotypical view of, you know, kids as masters of technology uh, as compared to these eighties figures who don't really know how to use it and don't yeah. really know what they're doing. And, you know, Danny in that sense is, is almost as lost as Johnny, although he does know what Facebook is and he knows how to use a smartphone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, um, Daniel's son, oh, and I forget his name. Um, is it Anthony? Anthony. Um, he almost, I think the presence of Robbie um, is almost like a specter hanging over Anthony. It's like Anthony is, could turn out to be a Robbie, kind of. You know what I mean? Because of mm-hmm. the 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 neglectful fatherhood um, of Daniel in this case, right? And so, yeah, I think that he's in the movie for an important reason, even though he doesn't do anything, literally. <laughs> I'm sort of 
I'm sort of curious what uh what you guys think of the the three mothers in this. Uh, uh, obviously, Robbie's mother is not a great person. Yeah. Uh, but she is there. I mean, she is she is present in his life mm-hmm. in a way that Johnny wasn't. Uh, uh, Danny's mother. It's been so long since I've seen the movie. I don't remember if that is her character in the movie or if they've tweaked some things and and harshened her in her old age. Nope. Um, Okay, she's that way in 84. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, uh, And Danny's wife, I think, is kind of a big question mark. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. she says things and you're like, all right, she is the balancing force here and she's the voice of reason and common sense. And sometimes I'm like, you are a crazy lady. And why are you saying that? And no, the thing you're saying is okay is not okay. And maybe maybe she's just a real person who is sometimes right and sometimes wrong. But they they it it feels inconsistent. And I come away not really knowing what to do like with her as a character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if, if that character has a vice, it is that she wants immediate resolution to everything, Mm. you know, in a, in a narrative universe in which, you know, struggle and conflict sometimes bring redemptive moments. She doesn't want any of the struggle or any of the conflict. Yeah, that's a, a really good way to think about it. She's very kind of like pragmatic in that way. And she kind yeah. of essentially co-runs right. the business, maybe even more than co. Uh, she sort of uh-huh. like is a, a primary actor in the in the car dealership and uh, and that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I do think that that is one thing that's really interesting about the series that we haven't talked about. And I, I don't know, it's too late to bring it up at this point, but uh, it, <laughs> it does... Um, have a much more kind of full and rich uh, engagement with gender in general, right? You've got um, than mm, than the original okay. does, right? You've got like female characters, and I do think that um, Samantha, um, the daughter, is a little more active in here. It, she's not just someone that things happen to. She actually sort of has agency and makes decisions. And we find out as the series goes on is super skilled in karate herself. Right. And and so she, mm-hmm. she'll become right. this sort of, I mean, you can anticipate some sort of tournament showdown between her and Miguel at, at some point in season two, I can imagine. Um, mm-hmm. And so you do, I think she is a more kind of, um, uh, so agency filled character than we'd seen. And, and Aisha is the particularly interesting one. She's a bullied girl right. who, um, is like really good at karate and, uh, who turns out to be really good at karate. But, um, and so she's got this, these layers too. And I think in the same way, there are mother figures that are, um, diverse and interesting in this. And so not only you, you mentioned those three mothers, but there's Miguel's mother as well. Who's like a working single mother. um, Yeah. Who's sort of co-raising Miguel with her mother, with the grandmother. Right. And Mm so um, like this, this, this series is uh, full of mother figures as well, for sure. Um, Yeah. Oh no, no, no. I I was just listening to your role there. I mean, and then, I mean, since we're coming up on the end of the episode, I mean, it ends with Mm -hmm. the return of the original evil father. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and again, if you've listened this far, we've already spoiled enough. And frankly, if you're aware of this series at all, you know, that at the end of season one, uh, John crease, who Johnny believes to be dead emerges from the shadows and, you know, uh, says now the Cobra Kai story can really begin. Yeah. And that, and that's the cliffhanger they leave this on. 
Yeah, and and you had some interesting like I mean he definitely has this like satanic appearance. He's lit in shadows and I think red colors and smoking a cigar. Yeah, and so there's definitely a, a you know the metaphor of Mephistopheles um, visually is captured there, mm-hmm. and you actually kind of see that role for him going forward. Oh yeah, yeah, and again we're getting into the season two promotional stuff here. So yeah. listeners, by the time you hear this, you might have watched season two, and all of this gets blown up. <laughs> but in the promotional <laughs> stuff, anyway, uh, you know John Kreese, uh becomes a a rival sensei in some senses to Johnny, even though they are both still affiliated with Cobra Kai. And it looks like, and again, trailers are inherently deceptive, uh, but it looks like he is going to take Hawk. I mean, to the next level in the dark side yeah. to mix our franchises, right? <laughs> While Johnny is trying to pull his students back from that. So uh, I, I am excited about season two. I really am. Uh, you know, I, I never thought I'd be saying this when I uh, saw the first trailer, however long ago in 2018. But uh, the, I, I actually might be looking forward to this in a couple weeks more than I'm looking forward to Avengers Endgame. <laughs> well, and, and I suppose another spoiler uh, we we see Crease show up. We will not be seeing Mr. Miyagi show up. True. Yeah. The- <laughs> yes. Yeah. Pat Morita is gone. Flashbacks. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there'll be plenty of flashbacks. But I I do. I, this is me. Like I hope they do not do this. By God, please don't do this. But I uh-huh. don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that there's a little bit of a fight club thing going on here and that um, crease really is dead, but it's some sort of some manifestation of a psychic break in Johnny um, at the, and even if that's not literally what the plot does, I think in a mm-hmm. sense, that's how it's going to function. I think his reemergence oh, sure, sure. into the no, story. I think that's absolutely how it's going to function. Yeah, yeah. Like whether he's a figment or not, um, I, I don't, I hope they don't do that. That would be really cheesy. Um, but um, but I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility for them to do that. That's not very 80s-ish, though. <laughs> that's true. That's very 90s. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and they'd be importing a new kind of nostalgic uh, impulse into the show, into this uh, franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's definitely there to kind of um, give a kind of Jekyll and Hyde um, possibility to Johnny and his own um, – how he deals with the consequences of his actions in the, in first, in the first season. Um, and I think that's the tragedy of this. He thinks, and we think, and he does for, to a great degree, um, achieve and he does sort of like redeem himself to a great degree, but by relying kind of uncritically on the lessons of his youth, he perpetuates, I mean, he sets the material conditions for the perpetuation of what's poisonous and, and bad about the past. Right. And so mm-hmm. that's the tragic, right. Even by pursuing and, and, the and good. his moral struggle stands to be the most interesting precisely because he has never had the good mentor, right? Exactly. The the closest thing he has to a good mentor is Iron Eagle. <laughs> it's true, a TV show, right? Which, uh, if you're going to have a mentor, it's a TV show <laughs> or a movie from the '80s. That's that's the way to go. Yeah, maybe he'll start watching reruns of The Karate Kid, and Mr. Miyagi will be his sort of like <laughs> spiritual mentor. That, that would be going oh, too far. So there. We're going to go full Don Quixote on this <laughs> yeah. one, are we? <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, it's a really great show. Uh, to I, and I can't recommend it highly enough. I'm. It's surprising layered and dense and I think it it takes a, a, a product from the 80s and instead of just reproducing it cynically for an, like mm-hmm. uh, like the Weezer album does um, I think what it does is reconstitute it for a current moment right and so that it means something new now right and I think it's almost mm-hmm. like um, a 
perfect vision of of the way you kind of uh, T.S. Eliot's uh, talent or uh, tradition and the individual talent. It's it's a yeah. it's a perfect um, manifestation of that kind of. Um, repurposing the past and making it new. Right. And, and I think, and making it vital. Uh, and honestly, I feel like this is way better than the source material <laughs> in its own oh, right. It is. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I don't disagree with that. Yes. Um, do you guys have any kind of final thoughts before we, uh, before we close it out? I've, I've got a ton of thoughts, but I, we've, we've done some good stuff today. <laughs> well, I thank you both for being here. This has been a lot of fun uh, for me to talk about the show. And I thank you, Nathan, for making the recommendation. I would, like I said, I would never watched it. And I'm, I'm so glad I did. And, and I think I have just enough left on my subscription to YouTube Red to, uh, to get through the second season once it gets released right. here. So um, I'm going to uh, – uh, and even – potentially consider keeping that subscription so um so uh if you're not listening to uh if you enjoyed nathan and coil which i'm sure you did today listen to the christian humanist podcast for nathan listen to the city of man podcast for coil uh they're both great at what they do and and they um shed a lot of share a lot of wisdom um each and every week on their shows um i thank them both for being here and i thank you for listening if you have any questions or responses you know where to contact us on facebook um make sure you subscribe to the show if you're not subscribed on your podcatcher and uh, by all means tell a friend about it and uh let them know that uh, they can participate in the conversation as well for nathan Gilmore and Coyle Neal. Uh, I am Danny Anderson thanking you for listening to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. Yeah.